Yesterday we were driving on the road and we saw a person with a sticker that said, I am greater than he. In Hawaii, the company, he is greater than I, which comes from John 3.30, um, when he says, I must decrease so the Lord can increase in my life. I must take the back seat so Jesus can drive in my own words. Um, that sticker, that company is huge here. And so there's a lot of people who you know, kick against that and say, Oh, I don't like that. I don't believe in God. And so I am greater than he. And then later that day, we saw another car with the same sticker, but this car was completely totaled, demolished. The the winch, the hood was like covering the windshield and it was just totaled. And we, we drove away thinking we can't help but think because you changed that statement and turned it backwards. You crashed. You know, there has to be, there's some kind of correlation. A person who puts themselves above God, before God, is going to be a person who ultimately crashes their life. Mm -hmm. And change, what it means is allowing yourself to live in the freedom that he is greater than I. Mm -hmm. If you can live like John, you will be a free person. If you can change that statement, this is what happens when you truly get converted. You change a statement from I am greater than he which is what Satan said, by the way, to he is greater than I. Yes. And that changes what we're going to talk about today. Give us the intro. Hello and welcome to Amen Podcast, where we preach the good news of Jesus Christ and how it applies to everyday life. I'm Lukilani, your host, and today Alex will be preaching about being truly changed. We're continuing our series in Matthew, looking at chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. I'm going to read those verses in the ESV version, Alex will share his message and then we'll end with a question and answer time at the end. Let's read. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Amen. So we're continuing our series in Matthew. We're in chapter 12. We're about to end chapter 12. Um, after the next episode. And so it's been really good. It's been a wild ride. And this whole discourse is Jesus talking um, in the synagogue, out of the synagogue, to disciples, to Pharisees, to his enemies. And this goes along with last week. And last week they uh, claimed, or two weeks ago, they claimed that Jesus was working with Satan, that he got his power from Satan. Um, and then they were like, well, give us a sign to tell us that you really are the Messiah. And so Jesus says, the only sign I'm going to give you is you're looking at it. I am the sign. Um, and then he gives a little parable about an unclean spirit. And from this parable, we're going to learn a lot about demons. We're going to learn a lot about change. This is the scariest passage of the Bible I've ever read. It is. I've just, I've grown up in church. I've grown up, um, my dad's pastor, my grandpa's a pastor, VBS, vac you know, vacation Bible school, Sunday school. Um, Lokilani was playing some nineties hits worship yesterday. And we were just like, I can't believe I haven't heard this song in years, you know, like blessed be your name. 
trading my sorrows, that kind of stuff. So we've grown up in church, Lokalani and I. And as we read this passage, we're like, this is definitely one of the scariest, you know? And so um, just because it just, it hits so hard, um, but the freedom in it um, and the hope in it is really, really heavy as well. So verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. So Jesus says uh, that when an unclean spirit leaves a person, it roams around. It doesn't find rest because it doesn't want to be anywhere else but in a human. He's telling us that demons love to inhabit humans. They love to, and even animals too. We see that, you know, in I believe Matthew chapter eight, when they're like, can we go into the pigs? Can you cast us out into the pigs? They don't want to be homeless. When he is roaming around this demonic spirit, it goes to waterless places. A waterless place uh, is like a desert. It says waterless, desolate places. What that means is there's no life in these places. Demons don't need food and water like you and I. They don't need coffee. They don't need anything. They just, I mean, they don't need any like kind of physical sustenance because um, they're not human. And so they go around to these places that are lifeless and they hang out there, but they don't find rest because they want to be in a human. Now, we don't know how this uh, demonic spirit got cast out. We don't know if uh, uh, maybe it was cast out, it was exercised. We don't know if the person just got their life in order and they're like, okay, I'm going to get sober, you know, and, and just by their own willpower, they were like, okay, I'm done with the drugs. I'm done with the gambling. I'm done with the alcohol, um, pornography or whatever. They, they cleaned their life up. And for whatever reason, this demon is like, okay, I don't have control over this person anymore. I'm out of here. What we're talking about here uh, is the need for conversion. So there's three points. The need for conversion, the problem with reformation, and then lastly, the solution of occupation. So this person needed conversion. We all need this. We all need the evil spirits that are uh, hovering around us. We live in a dark world. We need power. We need to be freed from addiction. We need to be freed from the uh, being under the evil thumb of the enemy. That's where we are in verse 43. But in verse 44, listen, it says, then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. This is the problem with reformation. The person's life is a little bit more moral now. It's more good. His house represents his life. His life is swept, orderly, but empty. That's the problem. When you sell a house, uh, you clean it up, you put it on the market, a real estate agent comes and says, yeah, we can get about this much money for your house. And then the house stays empty sometimes. Maybe a builder builds a house and a contractor builds a house and it's beautiful and it's furnished but it's empty. Lokalani was telling me that these like HGTV shows, um, when they're selling houses, they put like furniture into the house that they don't own. The people who come in there, they walk to the house and they tour it. And they're like, this is our house. This is our new house. We love it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. And they like, you know, they mark it all up and make it beautiful for the show. But a lot of the furniture she was telling me has to go back to wherever it came from or 
or it's staged, meaning they have to purchase the couch that they like so much as, as well as purchasing the house. It's real pretty heavy. And I didn't know that. I thought like when, you know, Joanna Gaines and, you know, all these, you know, HGTV kind of people, when they, uh, furnish the house, they're like giving this beautiful furniture to them and the fridge and everything. I didn't know they had to buy all that. Isn't that crazy? It's empty and beautiful and orderly. And it's asking for someone to move in. That is the life of a person who is, who doesn't smoke, doesn't chew, doesn't hang with those who do. You know, this is a person who can look in the mirror and say, I live a pretty good life. You know, I don't, I don't steal. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't drink. I'm not mean. I don't cuss. I don't hurt people, you know, physically. I don't uh, take the Lord's name in vain. I'm a pretty good person. Their life is swept and orderly, but it's empty. John MacArthur was telling us uh, in this book that I'm reading called The Gospel According to Jesus, that self-righteousness is the most dangerous form of unrighteousness. Don't you see why Jesus says, I've come uh, for, not for the righteous, but for sinners. He didn't have a problem converting and changing the lives of prostitutes and thieves and um, evil people in his day. The people he had the most problem with was self-righteous people, the people in the synagogue, the temple and the church, the people who thought they were good enough on their own and they thought they could be good enough to get into heaven. So they were relying on their man-made rules and their laws and their religion. That is just like what Jesus is saying here. The demonic spirit leaves, but he's still keeping tabs on this person's life. Remember, when you when your life changes, before it deeply, truly changes, and even if it deeply, truly changes, which we're going to get into, Satan has still got demons. And those demons, those evil forces are still keeping tabs on you. You know, just like, you know, your iPhone's tracking you from app to app to app. Demonic spirits are tracking you and they're watching you. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at once. They don't know everything, but they're watching on different ways to find chinks in your armor to bring you down, to destroy you. Why? They love to destroy. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis talks about in Screw Tape Letters. They actually like to destroy. I mean, different, but not so, not, not, not so similar to the things that you like. You know, maybe you really love football. You really love Oreos, you know, and you just, you love that. You really love a nice, juicy steak. You have an appetite for those things. Demonic spirits have an appetite appetite for destroying. It's what they want to do. So they're keeping tabs on you. This guy, this demonic spirit is keeping tabs on this guy and realizes, oh, this person cleaned their life up, you know? And it's their life looks different, but it's still empty. It's empty. And so it still needs someone to inhabit it. That's the problem with reformation. True change means your life looks different on the inside and the outside. True change means sin is not welcome in your house anymore. True change, it means God has permanently freed you from the power of evil spirits. That's true change. This person's change wasn't true because this demonic spirit's about to come back and with friends. Verse 45. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. 
and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first, so also will it be with this evil generation. Now, remember, this is a parable. A parable is a heavenly meaning in an earthly story. This parable, Jesus is is using real events to tell this parable, meaning this could happen and this, this does happen. He goes and he gets, this demonic spirit goes and gets other spirits that are more evil than him. Now, this is really crazy because listen, if if the, the demonic spirit that was first in this person's life that got kicked out was the demonic spirit of alcohol or, um, and not saying that all alcohol is bad. Um, of course, the abuse of alcohol, of course, the alcohol that we have now is not the same kind of alcohol that we used to have in the Bible. All kinds of debauchery comes with alcohol when it's abused, when it's there's drunkenness involved. That's why Paul tells us, do not get drunk, but be filled with the spirit. Say this demon is the demon of alcohol or the demon of gambling or whatever it is. It's it, whatever sin that this demon is trying to get you to do. For it to leave through some kind of reformation and then come back and say, I got more evil spirits that are worse than me, seven of them. The word seven in the Bible uh, is connected to completion. So what this is a picture of is complete evil being brought into this life. Now, what do we, when we think about the completion of evil, what do we think about? We think about two episodes ago, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, self-righteous rejection of God's power. That's what these guys committed in chapter 12. People who are so self-righteous, so good. So they think they have it going on so much. They say, well, I don't really need God's power. They don't, they may not say that with their actual words. They said it by saying that Jesus was filled with a demon, the power of a demon. And that's how we say it. We say it in different ways. By the way, we treat people, by the way, we talk down about people in the church, by the way, we elevate ourselves um, over our brothers and sisters in Christ, Christians who got into Christianity the same exact way that we got in, which is how God opened their eyes and God gave them faith. Nobody gets in because they're so good. Nobody gets in because they're so uh, good looking or so funny or so smart. Nobody gets into the kingdom of God that way. Everyone gets into the kingdom of God by one way, grace through faith. That's it. So how can we talk down? How can we treat others wrong? How can we push everyone away and say, no, you know what? I'm better than you. You may not actually say those words, but it's how you act. And these are the people who act like this are people whose lives from the most part, from the outside looking in, look pretty good. That's a problem with reformation. So what are these seven evil, complete evil spirits that are brought into their life? It's self-righteousness. These are the demonic spirits in your life telling you, can you believe that pastor did that? These are the evil spirits in your life telling you, can you believe she wore that in a Christian podcast? These are the evil spirits in your life telling you, oh yeah, our church, like our church doesn't do stuff like that. You see the problem with this? These, these spirits, what makes them so much more evil than just the the spirit of gambling, drinking, smoking, murder, stealing. What makes them more evil is they're much harder to pinpoint. Yeah. They're much harder 
dad loves me the best. Well, I'm a much better reader than my brother. Or my sister, I don't know. My sister, I was already out of my diapers by that age. They're much more evil spirits because they're much more deceiving. Because what they're saying to you is similar to the, the lie that got us into this place. Did God really say? Satan didn't come out saying, you know, God's an idiot. You know, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have put that tree there. Why would he do that? You know, God really hates you. He just made you because he wants to poke fun at you. He didn't come out just sounding like a, a bully <laughs> or a gossiper. He came out trying to help. But doesn't that tree look so good? You know, it's surely you won't really die. God loves you. You see what I'm saying? You see how evil these spirits are? And so the guy is in worse, in a worse position than before. This is why this is the most scariest passage in the world. Because you could be, you could be in jail, lost to everything, an addict. And facing 10 years in prison, clean up your life and get self-righteous. Stop cussing, stop smoking, you know, stop stealing, get freed from jail, become a pastor of a church and have all kinds of success in ministry and be worse in that position than you were before as an addict in jail. That's what he's saying. Because self-righteousness is the thing that's going to make you walk into heaven or walk to the gates of heaven and be like, okay, I'm ready. Let me in. And God be like, what are you doing here? You're at the wrong gate. Really? Look what all, everything I did. Look at all the things I didn't do. You're just like the, the uh, Pharisee who is saying, God, thank you that I'm not like this evil sinner right here. Thank you that I'm not like that. When the sinner is beating his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me. That's a worse position. So what do we do? The solution is occupation. You know, Jesus came into this world as a baby, being rejected, occupation at the end. And he left this world being rejected, occupation from our hearts and from heaven. Mm -hmm. Jesus is a baby. They're looking for a place for Mary to have the baby. They go to the end. There's no room for them. No occupation, no vacancy. They get kicked out. They have to have Jesus in a manger. Jesus is 33 years old on the cross saying, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They've rejected me and my occupation in their hearts and their life. And my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, I've been rejected occupation from heaven because sin is not welcome in the presence of God. Jesus took our sin and then he wasn't welcomed in the presence of God. But because he's perfect and he's holy and his heart is filled and occupied with the love of God because he's one with God, the father, God rose him from the dead through the power of the Holy spirit, who is also God. What Jesus is so showing us here is if you truly want to deeply change, if you don't, if you truly want to be converted and have a real conversion in your life, you don't, 
you can't have reformation without relationship. This guy's problem is he cleaned up his life, but didn't occupy it with Jesus. His life was clean, but empty. Jesus wasn't really occupying his life, really occupying his heart. The way that Jesus fills your heart, occupies your heart, is you have to look so deeply at the fact that you can't. You cannot get into heaven because of what you do. You can't change the way that God feels about you because what you can do and what you've done and what you haven't done. And the only way you can get there is you have to look at the cross. You have to look at the life of Jesus. Him being rejected occupation so we could be accepted and occupy heaven. And so he can occupy our hearts unless he is at the center of your life. Unless he is a person that has now moved into your house and lives there now. Once he's there, no demon can get in there. The house is occupied. They may try to attack your house. They may try to, you know, break down your house. They may try to burn down your house, TP your house, all kinds of things that have devandalized your life. They're of course going to do that until Jesus throws them all into the lake of fire. But they're not welcome in. True conversion means they can knock at the door, but they're not welcomed in. True change means sin is knocking, but not welcome. And the only way sin is not welcome is if your love has changed. Loving Jesus means he has occupied your life. Seeing him do that for you is what really makes a change in your life. And all of a sudden, now... You want to spend time in your word. You want, to, you want to spend time speaking to him, talking to him, reading. You want to spend time using uh, your words to bring life, not death. Remember, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's coming out of your mouth shows you what's really going on inside. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. Remember, we talked about that last episode. So an abundance means you have a lot. You have full. It's, uh, it's not vacant. There's plenty. And so out of that comes life, beauty, uh, waters flowing, live, uh, flowing living waters coming out of your mouth. But when there's no abundance and the heart is empty, when the house is vacant, nothing, nothing good is going to come out of it. Demons are going to come out of it because it's empty. And there, if as long as your house is empty, demons are free to move in and out of it. And out of that, demonic talk, evil talk is going to come out of it. So the, one of the best ways to look at our life and to ask ourselves, okay, have, have I really truly been changed is by the way we speak. And so looking at the cross, looking at the life of Jesus, looking at what he went through for us, that grace is what makes you fall deeply in love with him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this message. We thank you so, so much, God, that you have um, sent your son, Lord, to, to show us that unless he fills our life 
none of the reformation in our life, none of the cleaning up uh, of our life really matters. Um, unless he is our new love, um, we are in a worse position than before because we've deceived ourselves in believing that everything's going to be okay because um, I don't do that thing anymore. I don't hang out with those people. I don't do this. Um, it's, there's nothing that we can do, Lord, that can that can get us into heaven. And uh, we thank you for that, God, because we would spend our life just boasting about all the great things that we've done without experiencing real, true cha- tra- change. Um, and so, God, we pray that you would make us uh, love you, that you would give us new hearts um, to truly love you and put you first. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is a part of the episode called After the Amen, where we ask you a question to help you apply this message to your life. And our question for you is, have you just cleaned up your life, but not truly changed? Have you just cleaned up your life, but not truly changed? And I'll go first as always. Um, For me, this was a huge part of my testimony. Um, Before I was very aware, before I like, God truly changed my heart. I was very aware of how sinful I was. Um, And I thought I had to clean myself up, um, change this and that about me. And then he would start to accept me a little more. His, His love for me would grow by me doing this. And then eventually I'd get to a place where he's like, okay, yeah, like you can be my daughter. Like I can, you can be a part of the kingdom. You cleaned yourself up and it did not work. I had no power in it. I failed. Um, and I was still so empty, but until I truly understood that while I was a sinner, while I was at my dirtiest, Christ came to save me. That's when true transformation happened in my life. And when when that happened, there was freedom and things in my life truly started to change, like without me trying, like he was transforming my de- desires. Um, and that came through reading his word, spending time with him in prayer and being around other believers. Um, and that, that was just so huge to me because I was getting it all wrong. I thought that like Christ's love was conditional like ours is, you know, like, okay, you have to earn this. And then once, you know, we get to this point, like we'll be good, but he is, he is not that way. And, you know, now as a believer, self-righteousness wants to poke its ugly head in my life. And I think in every believer's life at some point, because like Alex saying, it's the deceptive ways that the principalities of the air want to influence us. And it's our own flesh too, at times. Um, Because it feels good to think we're better or the best or whatever, Um, but it it leads to emptiness. It doesn't. It ends up not feeling good because of the consequences of living sinfully like that. And so, yeah, definitely, I would say at times, if I feel like okay, this thing in my life needs to change. Okay, I'm going to just change this and this and this instead of going to the gospel, applying the gospel to my life again, then I can start to get in that pattern of thinking like, okay, I have to do all these things to earn his approval or to clean up my life. Um, And desiring changes in your life is a good thing, but we have no power without Christ. And I love that you said um, self-righteousness, like the way that they were operating was in self-righteousness. 
and it was a rejection of God's power. And I think that's so good because it's like saying, nah, I don't really need your power, God. Like, I got this. I can figure this out on my own. It's like that sticker we saw, the I is greater than he. Like, no, I kind of know how people are. I kind of know how life should be. I kind of know you know, what's best for the world. Cause I live down here, like no God. And that's so evil. Like it says at the end of this evil generation, um, at the end of this passage. And so, uh, the way that I'm able to apply the gospel to myself is really is like going back to the sermon on the Mount, going back to verse three and four of chapter five, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay. I have to have a right view of myself. I can't allow the enemy to deceive me to think like, oh, you've been serving God all these years. Like you're great. Like, look at you. Like, look what you're doing. Um, you got the power on your own if you want to make these changes in your lives or in your kids' lives. Um, and then also, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted or mourn over our sin. So reminding ourselves that, yes, we're not slaves to sin anymore, but like we still have to, like, we're still on the same level as everyone else. Like we're all sinners. None of us is better than the other. And, um, that allows me to remember like, okay, I can't just clean myself up to appear better. Like I have to go back and allow God to transform me in whatever way. And so, yeah, yeah. Um, just returning to that. Yeah. It's all about just loving the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, I, I just see this in my own life. Like this could totally be me, yeah. you know, like I totally could just be like a, and I, I told, this definitely was me. Hopefully it's not me now, but it definitely was me. I've done, you know, I've done like a lot of like horrible things before, really surrendering to God, like calling myself a Christian. But even that, like, even like, that's not what this is even talking about. I think this is like, it's also talking, it's talking about like self-righteousness. And I think that self-righteousness can always lead to like the person's life falling completely apart, you know, and just unraveling and going back to, you know, addiction and going back to slavery. Um, But I think the, the caveat there is like these evil spirits, are trying to get this guy to think he's okay, yeah. you know? And, um, and like you're saying, like it was, it was realizing that he loved us at our lowest mm-hmm. and also that like, yeah, how great that love is. And I think just the weight of the gospel, um, yeah, man, it's, this is crazy, but I just see it. I just, I've seen it in my life. I see it in people that I know, and um, it worries me and it like terrifies me that like, and I, I can't imagine what Jesus felt, you know, like looking at these Pharisees and they're like, these are his quote unquote, you know, brothers, Jewish brothers, and their life is so clean and orderly and they think they're going to be good with God. And Jesus like knows they're not. Yes. How terrifying that is. Like, that's a scary thing. I mean, talk about... I don't know what that's like. I just don't know what that's like to know someone is can has convinced themselves that they're good. Yeah. And that there's no convi- how can you convince them? And that's the thing that's I have to realize that 
you know, is I have to realize that I can't convince people. Mm-hmm. You know, I just have to let the, the Holy Spirit has to open up their heart and give them a new heart. I can't do that. But I want to end with a story. And, and I was playing uh, basketball with the kids uh, this week, and they have no idea what basketball is. They don't know anything. They don't know what anything's called. And uh, everything that from school and from being a kid is coming back to me. And I was like, oh, change. Like when you make a shot, you get your ball back. It's called change, you know? And so once I taught them that, they were like, I made it. Give me my change. Give me my change. Give me my change. <laughs> and I was like, I feel like I'm on a street basketball court now. And um, I think that's what Christianity is all about. When God really changes you, there's more. Just like you make that shot, the rules are you get your change back. When God really changes you, there's more coming, more opportunities to shoot again for him, not less opportunities. I think when, when we see um, opportunities to serve him, even in small ways, we're not talking about big opportunities, small behind the scenes ways, when those opportunities start being stripped away from you, safe to say there's a change that hasn't really happened in your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, fruit produces more fruit. There's seed inside of every fruit. And when that fruit is eaten, there's more seeds to be planted to make more fruits. And um, he says, he is the vine, we are the branches. And so if there's really been change in your heart, there'll be more opportunities to serve the Lord, really serve him, not serve yourself, not, uh, you know, serve your bank account, not serve your ego, but really serve the Lord. Mm-hmm. And um, change begets change. Um, so, yeah, we love you guys. Thank you for supporting us. Anything else you want to say? <sighs> Thanks for being here. And amenpodcast.com forward slash donate. Yeah. Until next time, go out and be the church. Amen.